You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. I want to preach to you today a message that I've entitled, What Child Is This? What Child Is This? The 2016 election. According to Ed Stetzer, he observes, was so agonizing for Christians who believed they faced a no-win situation. On one side... Many thought the Republican candidate's moral character should have disqualified him from public office. On the other side, a number of Christian voters were dismayed by a Democrat who advocated one of the most radical positions on abortion rights in American history. If you were a believer, according to Stetzer, who cared deeply for the unborn, yet refused to support a candidate of dubious moral quality, where could you go? Here's what I want you to ponder this morning. Can you ever imagine a candidate for President of the United States that 100% of us in this room 100% agreed on and approved of? It's like, before I got it out, people were already shaking their heads. No way. I'm here to introduce to you a candidate. In Isaiah chapter 7, King Ahaz and the people of the southern kingdom, Judah, were terrified by a military alliance formed by the northern kingdom, Israel, and Syria against them. God warned King Ahaz of Judah not to give way to fear, but to trust in Yahweh, the God of Israel. Instead, King Ahaz consulted with witches and mediums and then politically allied herself with Assyria to deliver them from Israel and Syria. To put that into a terminology we can understand, that's like a mouse threatened by a rat, turning to an alley cat for for assistance. And after the cat devours the rat, he devours what as well? The mouse. (laughs) And Assyria would do both. In today's Bible passage, God promises the people of Israel, and in fact the world, a revolutionary who will break the power of Israel and Judah's oppressors. This revolutionary will not only defeat Israel and Judah's enemies, but will also destroy all the forces of evil on the earth. He will put an end to the conflict of good and evil and establish an endless rule of justice, righteousness, and peace. Who is this powerful revolutionary striding across the world stage? God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized humanity is this. A child born 
a son given. On the shoulders of this child is laid the weight of the entire world government. He is the answer to the quest for a perfect and lasting peace. He is not just any child or son, church. Listen to this. His accolades are without end. In this birth announcement, the child's throne name is given. It is one grand, intricate, majestic name comprised of four titles, but it's all just one name. Are you ready to hear this man's name? Let's read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders. Who's going to be sitting on the throne? Who will be sitting behind the desk running the affairs of the world? You ready for his name? He is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Church, I'm ready to preach this morning. What child is this? What child is this? He is none other than King Jesus. Write this down. And he is number one. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the wonderful counselor. Now, counselor here refers to giving wise advice, as advisors would do to the king. But notice this. This child is not just an advisor. He is what? The king himself. Did you catch this? Sitting on the throne is a counselor, is a advisor. And what type of counsel does he give? What does the text say? I can wait on you, church. Say it. Wonderful. He is wonderful in counsel. This word in the Hebrew is something like our word for supernatural. It goes beyond mere human wisdom. This is in contrast to the current King Ahaz. Remember, King Ahaz sought counsel from who? Witches and mediums. Don't you love this that God promised through the prophet Isaiah there will one day sit on the throne of Jerusalem a king who would need no counsel because he himself is wonderful in counsel. And this kind of counsel even surpasses the earlier days of the wise King Solomon, whose wisdom required a supernatural explanation. But you know the rest of the story with King Solomon. Eventually, his wisdom unwinds and divides the kingdom. But this king, this king, Jesus, oh, his, his wisdom and wonderful counsel last through eternity. In the United States... The president has a cabinet. The cabinet advises the president on any subject he may require relating to the duties of each member's respective office. Now think about this. The president's cabinet currently includes the vice president, the heads of 15 executive departments, it includes the White House Chief of Staff, the heads of the Environmental Protection Agency, Office of Management and Budget, United States Trade Representative, Central Intelligence Agency, Officer of the Director of National Intelligence and Small Business Administration. Jesus is so wonderful and supernatural in counsel, he needs no cabinet. 
And may I remind you, this same Jesus is accessible to you right now. Right now. What child is this? He is the wonderful counselor. Thank you. But that's not all. There's another part, another title in his one name. Number two, the mighty God. The mighty God. Now, no Israelite king or Judean king was ever identified as mighty God. So King Solomon was wonderful in counsel. But no king of Israel or Judah was ever called the mighty God. The title of mighty God was always reserved for Yahweh, the God of Israel himself. Write this reference down, Isaiah 10, 21, excuse me, 20 through 21. Isaiah 10, 20 through 21. Now listen, it says this, On that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no longer depend on the one who struck them. Talking about Assyria and Babylonian captivity. But they will, be, they will faithfully depend on the Lord. That's in all caps. Yahweh, the God of Israel. The remnant will return. The remnant of Jacob, and then notice this last phrase, to the mighty God. So here we see the reference of mighty God, and it refers to who? Yahweh, the God of Israel. Don't get ahead of me. The God of Israel. And yet here, in Isaiah 9-6, mighty God is a title applied to the child born and the son given. Something very interesting here. Mighty God refer, refers to the Lord God of Israel himself, yet it should note here in this text, apparently this child is not just merely a human that will be born to us. The word mighty is a common word used for warriors who could carry the day of battle by the power of their military might. They were called mighty men of valor. So mighty here refers to military prowess. The child that's prophesied in Isaiah 9-6 will be filled with all powers, the almighty, especially military powers that are required to destroy, destroy Israel's and God's enemies. Let me put all this together. There's a lot of strings there. Let me tie it all up. President Theodore Roosevelt's foreign policy was put this way. Speak softly and what? Carry a big stick. The United States has approximately 1.3 million active duty troops with another 865,000 in reserve, one of the largest fighting forces of any country in the world. You ready, church? They don't compare to King Jesus. In their totality, they don't compare to the child born and the son given. Why? He is the mighty God. Can I remind you of who King Jesus is? In Jesus' first advent, the very first Christmas, at the manger in a feeding trough, he came to die. He came to absorb 
all of our sins, your sin and my sin, He absorbed it on the cross so that we can be saved and delivered from the dangers of sin, from the very wrath of God, that we can be reconciled with God and no longer God's enemies. We can enjoy now through Jesus Christ, the mighty God, a relationship with the everlasting Father. That's what He did at His first advent. The first Christmas. But church, I don't know if you know this in my Bible. My Bible teaches me Jesus is coming again. And He is not coming to some manger or some trough. He is coming in glory and power and military might. Can I give you the picture of this child and this son? Listen to what Revelation chapter 6 verses 15 through 17 says about when Jesus comes at His second advent, when we see the last Christmas. Listen to what it says. Then the kings of the earth, the nobles, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and every slave and free person hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. This isn't some manger scene. Did you catch this? And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the, from the wrath of the Lamb. Because the great day of their wrath has come, and here they say, and who is able to stand? Oh, the description's not finished. You ready to hear about this child and this son? It says in Revelation 19, 14 through 16, it says, the armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. So the armies of heaven, the saints and the angels, dressed and robed in white, on white horses with their swords, ready to come and slay Israel's and God's enemies. And there at the front of the, the lawn, there leading the command is King Jesus. And it says this, A sharp sword came from His mouth so that He might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And He has a name on His robe and on His thigh. Here's what's tattooed on King Jesus. King of kings and Lord of lords. Do you understand before any saint or angel can draw a sword, Jesus opens His mouth and all of the military might of the world is dissolved. He is the mighty God. There will be no weapon of war left when the word comes. It'll all be gone. You say, Josh, how do you know that this Jesus, this child, this son, born and put in a manger or a feeding trough is the mighty God? He wields that kind of power. Within a Jewish context in which Jesus lived, Jesus claimed to be God's son. And he did, not, he did not mean that as merely a representative or a prophet. And the reason I know this to be true is because go look at the charges the Sanhedrin, the Jewish officials, and the Roman officials, Pilate, charged Jesus with. The Jewish officials charged Jesus with blasphemy because he claimed to be God. The Roman officials charged him with high treason. Why? Because he claimed to be the king of the Jews, the fulfillment of all these prophecies. 
All of that, his charges and execution are true and are without any dispute in any world, the religious or non-religious. Everyone knows Jesus of Nazareth died by crucifixion. But here's what you have to consider. Why, after Jesus' crucifixion, did the disciples, Jesus' original followers, go back into the very city in which he was charged and executed and then went all over the Roman Empire where there was persecution everywhere and claimed this, Jesus is God. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. What made those men go back into a world that was threatening them, that should have filled them with fear and stifled them? Why did they come out with a sincere belief He is the mighty God? You want me to tell you why, church? Because God raised His Son from the dead. Everything that Jesus said is true. He is the mighty God. And His disciples were compelled to go into all the world and say, It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. And we preach that same message to you today. It's only Jesus, church. There's only one way. There's only one truth. There's only one hope for our reconciliation and freedom from sin and everlasting life. He is the mighty God. He's been raised from the dead. And He is coming again to judge the world with righteousness. Are you ready? People get ready. What child is this? He is the wonderful he is the mighty three, the everlasting Father. The everlasting Father. In the Jewish context in which this was written to King Ahaz and the prophet Isaiah, Father is not a title of Israel or Judah's kings, just like mighty God. No one ever called a king Father or called him God. They knew not to do that. Again, it is a title only used of Yahweh, the God of Israel himself. And when it's used as the father of Israel, it points to Yahweh or God's concern for the helpless and his care for his own chosen people. The child here in Isaiah 9-6 means that his rule will be patterned after Yahweh's fatherhood his concern and care for his people. Everlasting is important. Everlasting. Everlasting in this context relates to the guaranteeing powers of the king. Think of it this way. If you've read anything from Judges, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st Kings, 2nd Kings, 1st or 2nd Chronicles, you'll find that Israel and Judah constantly complained of the ups and downs of good and bad kings. Now think about this. So for instance, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah mourns because King Uzziah died. And Uzziah was a good king. His son Jotham and Ahaz were bad kings. And so they complained under the leadership of a bad king. But can you imagine a minute who is a king, who is fatherly in his concern, and then catch this, and is everlasting. An everlasting king. There's no need for a replacement. Do you see that? They don't have to worry. Imagine what security it would bring to the people of Israel that when the one seated on the throne has the same concern from Israel as God the Father, the whole point is this going, let's just leave him on the throne. You see the idea? You see what a comfort that would have been? Here we are as Americans, we're on the cusp of another 
presidential election cycle. Everybody excited? With each passing one, our nation becomes more divided, insecure, and pessimistic about our government. But imagine when King Jesus sits on the throne in Jerusalem to rule the world. I think we'll all be fine with saying, let him rule, let him rule. Jesus is fatherly to us, his people. And Graham Lotz put it this way. He guards the young. He finds the lost. He rights the wrong. He avenges the abused. He defends the weak. He comforts the oppressed. He welcomes the prodigal. He heals the sick. He restores the failure. He mends the broken. He blesses the poor. He fills the empty. He clothes the naked. He satisfies the hungry. He elevates the humble. He forgives the sinner. And he raises the dead. What a platform. Let him rule. Let him reign. From everlasting to everlasting. He will be the final king. He will be the king to end all kings. Can you say it with me? Come Lord Jesus. <laughs> Come Lord Jesus. What child is this? He is the wonderful he is the mighty, the everlasting, and for the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. To be at peace in general means to be complete or whole. When it comes to oneself, to be at peace with oneself, it means to be personally fulfilled, to have well-being and freedom from anxiety. When it comes to peace with others, it is goodwill and harmony. It is the exact opposite of war. And when it comes to peace with God, it is the full realization of his favor and blessing. This child, this son, is somehow over this kind of peace. Your personal peace. Your peace with the family members you can't stand. <laughs> your peace with those in our community, the peace with nations that war with one another, and ultimately peace with God, who if we're not repentant of our sins and trusting Christ as our Savior, we are hostile in our minds and hearts toward Him. He considers us His enemies. This child or son has peace in his jurisdiction. This child or son is called the Prince of Peace. It means the ruler of peace, the executive of peace. He is the administrator of peace. Jesus administers the benefits of all the peace that I just described to you. What an amazing thing. One person has a monopoly on peace, and that's Jesus. Jesus reconciled us with God. He made peace with God for us so we can fully realize God's favor and blessing right now and through eternity. He paid the punishment of our peace with God by bearing and dying for our sins in his own body while we were still his enemies and still sinners. Surely Jesus is the Prince of Peace. What an administrator. In church, that's not all. Let's remember, Jesus, the mighty God, the omnipotent warrior will someday return and crush God's enemies under his feet. And the last enemy defeated is what? Death. He'll throw death itself in the lake of fire and the whole world will be made whole at peace. 
the Prince of Peace. That's why Isaiah 9, says 7, 9 7 says this. Look at it. Isaiah 9 7. The dominion, this king's jurisdiction, will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. <laughs> the economic growth under this king's unbelievable. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and sustain it. Now look at this. With justice and righteousness from now on and forever. This empire of peace under King Jesus will expand forever. Forever ascending, enlarging, accelerating, and intensifying. Do you not long for it yet? Is there not something in your soul that's just saying, then come on, make it happen, establish it, and let it be so. And what is our hope in this? How can we know that it will be accomplished? I want you to see so far throughout this text, you and I have done nothing in this. Did you notice? Can you find yourself in this? The only place I see me, it says, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. It looks like in this whole setup, we're recipients. We didn't accomplish any of this. Who accomplishes it? Read the very last line of verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of angel armies will accomplish this. You know who's going to get this done? God Himself, and you can't stop Him. His passionate commitment, it's already been set in motion. This is how it all ends, people. I just told you today. Why? God will get it done. So what? We just wait it out? The child is coming again to shoulder the government. That's what he's coming to do. But in his first advent at Christmas, he shouldered our sins. He shouldered our sins. The question is this, because we're living between the times. Write this down. Will you set your life on Jesus' shoulders? Have you ever thought about that? It's interesting. We have no problem when we hear these descriptions of Jesus to say, oh, I'd like to set the government of the world on Jesus' shoulders, right? He'd make a great candidate. <laughs> but then when it comes to our own personal life, can you entrust your own life to Jesus? Would you put your life on Jesus' shoulders and say, right now, Jesus, I'm going to live like you're already rolling and raining. That's the question for you. Will you put your life on his shoulders? Will you crown Jesus as Lord of your life? Do you feel your need for Jesus? If Jesus were on this platform today, would you come up to him and ask him to forgive you and change your heart? Well, he lives. He is here today. And while your feet may not take you to him, I need you to know this. He is just as much in this place as he was on the streets of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And he has drawn himself to you. He is right there beside you. And though you cannot touch him, you may, be, you may have confidence that he hears you. 
pray. Tell him. Admit and confess you're a sinner. And entrust your life to him right now for salvation. Say, Jesus, I put my life on your shoulders. Believer, someone who's already done that. Do you come here depressed in spirit and full of fears? If Jesus were visible in this place, would you seek him out and tell him all your troubles? Well, he is here. He lives. Take him all your dilemmas. Take him all your concerns. Take him all your grief. Pour out your heart before him. Let your case be known before him with all of its difficulties. Because can I remind you of something? He's wonderful in counsel. Will you trust him to govern the world's affairs but not govern your life? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he will give it liberally. You can come to King Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm so confused. And he'll sit on his throne and he goes, well, tell me about it. What a wonderful counselor. You say, there's no way. Well, he's a mighty God. He can make a way. He can make a way. Don't lose hope. You're full of anxiety. He's the Prince of Peace. He can administer it to you now. If you have entered into a relationship with Jesus through repentance of sin and trust in Jesus alone for deliverance, Jesus is also an everlasting Father to you. He will continually exercise kindness and patience towards you. His love knows no boundary when it comes to you. He will help you. Pray to Him and you'll find a father as tender as a baby. What child is this? He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He is Jesus. He is Jesus. And as the song implores, haste, haste to bring him laud. Bring him praise. He is worthy of it, that babe, the son of Mary. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.